So one of my issues with values and corporate values and even personal values is most people have this one word that they use for the values, like excellence. Yeah. And then you ask them, what does excellence mean? And they might have one sentence description, but it's not really useful for people to use. So I have this, I'm pretty, it usually takes like an hour per question in, in consulting. For you to come up with a question where you say yes to it, you know you're upholding your value. And if you say no, you know you're not. Like yeah. there's no gray area in there. So we, yeah, and one of the things that mentors, a lot, they're separated from the business, right? So none of the, the advice they're gonna give you is like emotionally best. No. Right? It's not, they just want what's better best, if you know, as long as good mentors or coaches, they just want what's best for you. Like yeah. that's their prerogative. Welcome back everybody to the Founders Corner. In today's episode, I have another great, exciting guest for you. His name is Ray Blakely, and he is a serial entrepreneur, father, and a husband. And I love this part. He is a part-time sword master, is what I'll call him. Um, anyways, uh, let's welcome uh, Ray. Ray, how you doing? Not too bad, Seth. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming. So before we start, I always like to ask, I mean... Why are you on the show? Obviously, because you're a serial entrepreneur. I can't wait to hear all your stories. Uh, one thing I love when I talk to you, Ray, is that I don't have to talk much. So it's awesome because you just kind of carry the conversation. And you go with it. So I love that. Um, but where did Ray start? What's his history? How did you get where you are today? Just give us a brief overview. Yeah, so... My founding story is not that different from other people, right? So I was born in the Philippines, grew up in Turkey moved to the United States, went to college, did what people are supposed to do after college, right? So I studied yeah. computer engineering. I went and got a good job at a good company and I was supposed to work there for 40 years, right? I've never uh, done that, so I, I have no idea what you're oh talking about. <laughs> exactly. And actually, I, I recommend going to get a good job after college for no more than five years. Like, have somebody else pay to train you. Totally. Go out, go out on your own. I, I agree um, with that statement, 100%. Exactly. So I'm not knocking it. Just don't do it. For, I mean, you know, at least doing yeah. it for my whole life was not in the cards for me. Uh, then I reached a point in my life where you kind of had this nagging feeling at the back of your neck where you're like, something's missing, right? Like nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. It just feels like something's missing. Um, and for me, that moment was like three things happened to lead me into that moment. The first one was, I remember I was at this Halloween party. I was in Cleveland, Ohio at a bar called the blind pig and I was standing on stage drunk and you know, like yeah. life discoveries, it happens when you're drunk, right? So you're looking out over the audience. I was like 25 years old and I remember thinking, look, most of the people in this room are like 10 years older than I am. Yeah. Even in the same bar at the same party, getting drunk with the same people for the last 10 years. Yeah. It's complacency at its finest. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, I don't want to be in the same bar with the same people 10 years from now. No. So I, it was like middle of the week because, you know, thanks. I don't you know, Halloween falls on the middle of the week. So I go back home, hung over at like 2 a.m. But <laughs> I can wake up at 6 a.m. and go to work the next day. Because, yeah. Trust me, I'm in my 40s now. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I think you break day. around 30 and then 40 is a no-go. Like there's no yeah, way in house. Exactly. It. it starts going down around 30. So when you, and at this point, it's just not going to happen. I'm very close so, to my 40s and I still can't oh, do it today. So. <laughs> I was going to say, like, take advantage of the last two years, two few years you got, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about to have a kid too. So there it is. It's done. It's, I'm, yeah, it's, it's done, gone. You're <laughs> and you're not going to sleep anyway. What's that? No, what's, what is sleep these days? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I go to work the next day and, you know, my hungover state, I'm kind of faking getting some work done. And then my boss comes in. I was a computer engineer at the time. I kind of ran a, I ran a tech team. So my boss came in and is like, hey, there's another team lead who's celebrating an anniversary at the company. Please come into our conference, you know, conference room in like an hour. And we'll celebrate. So an hour later, I go into this conference room. And for anybody who's worked in like, you know, these big stuffy corporate offices, don't get me wrong, the company I worked for actually treated us very well. Yeah. Um, I wasn't like complaining about that, but you know, it's one of those office rooms that have no windows and they have those like walls which have the, like the cushioning on it like you can kind of push it on the cushioning this yeah. is absorption, I think, yeah. like um, and in the middle of the, there's this fake wooden table with grapes and cheese on it you know the typical corporate cheese platter kind of thing so everybody goes up and ah goes. yes the cheese platter from uh from the local grocery store that's exactly it so everybody gets in the plastic table. bag and everything or the plastic <laughs> tray little plastic plates on the side for you to eat your stuff you know what i'm talking about i know exactly <laughs> You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So I go there, you know, I congratulate this person for his anniversary. He's a good bit older than I am. And then after a few minutes, the CEO of the company, this is a Fortune 100 company, kind of walks yeah. in the room and says, you know, thank you for 40 years of dedicated service to our company. And then and that's that's your aha moment. That's where you were like, I am getting out of here tomorrow. I will never that's be this. It. That's it. 
I wasn't quite there yet, right? Those two things. Yeah. You're, you're smarter than me. You would have gotten it faster than I did. But like, you know, it took me one more step to get there. And I remember sitting there, and, you know, they give him a plaque and he gives him a watch. I don't want that plaque and I don't want that watch. No, like, that you know, plaque. You know. But you know, but you know, Ray, back in the day, that was your life. That like security to was, security yeah. and just having the ability to say, I have a stable job. I've been there for 40 years. Like that was your badge of honor. Now, now I've noticed this transition to more like, are you an entrepreneur? Like, are you your own boss? Like, that's what today is. Yeah, you're right. But I, I agree with you. I would hate my life. I would, I, I would, I would exactly. die. And, you know, 20 years ago when I, you said entrepreneur, that was like a code word for unemployed, right? Like, you know, when I started- <laughs> I think it still is. <laughs> probably, it's for some, a lot of us, it actually is, right? So that happens. Then I go home that night and that's kind of getting stuck in my head. And then a commercial comes on TV for the US Navy and my respects to those in the armed services. Yep. But if you shoot at me, I'm running away as fast as physically possible. So it does not make me want to join the Navy. Yep. But there's this one scene in it where it's nighttime. I remember it vividly. Or at least this is how it is in my mind. And this is in the U.S. right now, right? This is in the U.S. Exactly. U.S., the yeah, US. okay. And then in the night, this like dinghy comes up on the beach and all these five Navy SEALs come up, like arms, you know, yeah, yeah. the weapons range. They always, uh, they always make those uh, commercials very epic. Very yeah, like, yeah, the music is playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Playing you get amped. You get amped. You're like, yes, I want to join the Navy. Give me that gun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then in the stars, they write, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? Ooh, okay. Those two things just happened. So I was in the bar. I was yeah. out of the crowd. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I was sitting in there in a conference room. I don't want to be here. Yeah. And then I remember looking at that question and thinking, if I keep on this track, no. Right. I won't want to read my own book. Like, what's it going to say? I sat in a queue for 40 years, wrote code. Yeah, yeah. So literally the next day I went on online and applied for something called the Peace Corps, which is a volunteer organization that sends right. you to another country and pays you just a few hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Three months. It usually takes one to two years to kind of get listed. 90 days later, I was touching down in Mexico. I quit my I, I quit my job for my boss. Wow. He's like, oh, you're going to a better job? I'm like, no, I quit to get paid $150 a month. No, I, uh, I've decided the Peace Corps is better than here. They actually offered, I mean, they were kind of like, if you want to come back in two years, we'll hold your job for you. I'm like, yeah, I'm back. But like, this just wasn't, I mean, I wasn't going to lie. I'm like, this is not the path that I want to do. Yeah. So I said, thank you. Um, I gave them like a two month notice. So plenty of time to find somebody for me to train it. Left, sold all my earthly possessions, came to Mexico, met the woman who's now my wife. And that actually led me into entrepreneurship because I didn't even go on to go back to the U.S. So we figured, hey. We know nothing about business marketing or anything else. We have no money in the bank account. Why don't we start a business? Because that's obviously a logical thing. So that was the first business we launched together. That was our first exit together. I've launched yeah. uh, the four businesses I've sold. Two of them I've launched with my wife. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a rare combination, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting more common, though. I'm meeting a lot more like spousal entrepreneur couples out there. Yeah, um, as long as... as look, I'll always say this, and it doesn't matter if you're the female or the male. One needs to be the driver. One needs to be the supporter. Like you can't both be driving. If you both drive, you're both separating like that. You're yeah. driving in different directions, to be honest with you. Right. So I've seen plenty of uh, actually, you know him and he's one of my, um, you know, people I love to watch. Dan Martell. Um, you know, he's very famous and vocal about the fact that his wife is like quite the supporter, you know, like, you know, and, and so. I've seen plenty of situations. Two months ago, I think, in California. Yeah, there you go. How was that? That was a, that was a cool event. There were about 100 people there. And cool. He, he's not a big fan of the name of my book, but a few publishers actually did like the name of my book who were there. So, Well, he just published his own book as well. He just yeah, published his as well. That's yeah. right. So actually, but his publisher I was speaking to as well. She yeah, yeah. Yeah, Buy Back Your Time is his, uh, his new book. But, uh, but yeah, no, and he, you know, um, I, I do agree that I think if you can, if you get that combination, it's a deadly combination. It's phenomenal because you both care. I think that's the key thing, right? And every entrepreneur understands. Yeah, you know, every, it's yeah. not like why are you working so late? She she would know exactly why I'm working so late one night, or if exactly. She's so late, I know exactly why she's working so late. Exactly, like, oh, exactly. So. Yeah. So okay. So you you've you've started four projects. Um, I I'll startups projects. I call them projects. Um, you know, and you've had exits, which is amazing. What what turned you into starting those projects besides the fact that you had no money and you know it was just an idea. Uh, you know, the cop-out answers, I have ADHD. So I started way more than four projects. I only sold four. Um, you know, I've actually launched close to 20 profitable businesses. In the last I genuinely hope my child has ADHD, by the way. 
it's a superpower. It's superpower. If you know how to harness it, it's a superpower. A lot of Agreed. And I, and I think that's where I, I mean, if you know how to harness your ADHD, it's powerful. That's the key. It is. Exactly. If you can't harness exactly. it, it's not powerful. Yeah. Exactly. 60% of entrepreneurs or something, there's studies out there have ADHD. Like, it's yeah. A very common trait entrepreneurs. Yeah. So. You, you'd have to be. Because you'd have to be able to, like, switch right away. Anyways, um, so were any of these, like, passion, like, what what started the ideas? Those are just, like, you kind of sat there and were like, oh, I can do that better. I, I, I typically, you know, whatever. I, I think there's hundreds of ways of starting your business. So I'm curious how you got there and what drove to the start. Yeah, yeah. So generally, I think there are two types of entrepreneurs out there. The visionary entrepreneurs. Those who create something we don't even know we need. Yeah. You know, electric cars. Uh, the Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Elon, Bill yeah, Gates. There you go. Yeah. That's it. I'm not one of those. There are, <laughs> You're so humble. <laughs> Like, let's be honest, most of us are not doing that. Kind of Those thing. are rare. And Those are incredibly rare people. Yeah. Exactly. And they have to be in the right place at the right time with the right resources. Yep. There's a whole bunch of things that have to kind of align for those people to work. The more common type of entrepreneur is an entrepreneur that sees a problem and sees that either nobody's fixing that problem or nobody's fixing it well. Mm-hmm. And then decides, hey, instead of sitting back and saying, well, that's a problem, you know, huh, that's troubling. Entrepreneurs are the ones who are like, no, I'm going to fix that problem. Yeah. So that's actually how I, most of my businesses were built. While I've built businesses in totally different areas, I've had a marketing agency, I've had a chocolate factory, I've had a you know product I service online, a brick and mortar school, I've had a SaaS product, I've like all. They were inspired by each other, right? Because right. you know, one example I'll give one of the businesses I have right now is called Podcast Hawk, and the reason it's a software that gets you booked on podcasts on autopilot, right? And the reason that came up was because I have another business, the one I recently sold called Live Lingua, where. If you, during COVID, we were growing, you know, we, we just grew 40% the first month and I was looking for a new marketing channel. I want to get on more podcasts. Right. There's no easy way to get on podcasts. So I built an easy way to get on podcasts. Like that's where the idea came from. Right. So it has nothing to do with my language school. I just do it. I'm a computer engineer. I know how to design that solution. I designed it. I built the MVP myself and then I brought a program to actually do it well. And then the product got launched that way. So that's generally how I do my businesses. They're not like in a vacuum, me sitting there. And like, oh, there's a business idea. It's not. I, see right. need. I look for a solution. Nobody has a solution, or the solutions are really awful. And I don't. Right. So that makes sense. But where, at what point? What? Because in my opinion, like having your own startup is one thing. Starting it out of a you know desire or, or even just a gap in the market is another. But to keep going, to continue that grit, I I feel like there needs to be passion behind it. Absolutely. Right. And I think passion is overrated. I don't think you need to have it right off the start. It could it could develop, right? So what are your did you did you get into that stage? Did did you like how did you how did you because being a, okay, here's my confusion. And it's not a confusion. Here's what I'm trying to get at is being a founder is really hard. And money is not really a it's not the greatest motivator to continue. It's a great motivator to start. But it's a it's not the motivator that keeps you going. You know what I'm saying? Because especially with 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 being a founder, you're you're really playing the long con, right? Like you're definitely not gonna have any money at the beginning. Uh, okay, you might start making some scraps. Phenomenal. Be happy about that. But you're hoping in like nine to ten years that turns into hundred, you know, you know, millions of dollars at the end. Yeah. Um, Everybody wants hundreds of millions. Most of us are not going to hit that. Yeah. That's why I said millions. Uh, let's, yeah, yeah. let's be humble, right? Like, again. Exactly. <laughs> so the question becomes is like, how did you keep going through that? Like, what, what kept you driven? What kept you going? Um, what gave you the grit? Yeah. So there are a few points there, but the biggest one you kind of touched on passion. And, you know, I'll, I'll start with that. So, We've all grown up with the phrase that they say, you know, follow your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. I've actually seen that's absolutely un- 
totally untrue. Yeah. Like that's not accurate. In fact, the great, easiest way to kill your passion is to make it your job, right? You love surfing and you become a surf instructor. You probably won't like surfing as much. Like, I mean, if that's your job just to go out and surf every day, it's like maybe a few people will love it, but most people it's like, Oh, I used to love it. But I used to love well, because, it. because it becomes a chore. It it's no longer it about like what you love to do. You're only doing it because you have to do it. Now you book clients. Now you have to do it. You quit your job. Now you have to do it. Whereas with yeah. a passion before, it's more like it's just, hey, I, I feel like doing this right now. Do you think exactly. that's how gamers feel? I wonder if that's how gamers feel. I maybe that's how I, you know. I love playing computer games, but I do it for fun. If it was, yeah, and imagine if that was a job. Oh, imagine if you literally are on a team and you're like. You're always days away from being cut. They're working cool on there, like how fast they can click their thumbs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, there's like workouts for it. Like it's yeah. fun, right? So there you go. That's a good example. Gaming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree with not, that. It's not their passion anymore. Like, yeah. you know, maybe there's this one lucky guy who's like, it's still his passion. He keeps it. But like for the most part, most of the people are like, this is a job. This is what my bill. Yeah. Um, the better way to, to do things is, again, using the model that I talked about where you find a need, you do it. And if you become good at whatever it is, I promise you, you'll be passionate about it. Like if right. you built a business around dishwashing and became the world expert on washing dishes by hand, which is only half jokingly like a business idea I've had at some point, because I'm like, I bet you people would follow that. Like, I bet you there's somebody that yeah. would do it. I even own a website called Zen of Dishwashing.com. Um, so <laughs> I've gone so far as to even buy, buy the domain. Right? You, you know what I love about you, Ray, is, is how bootstrap you are with your ideas. It's actually like, it's actually insane. Like you have no, you're just like, that's a cool idea. Bootstrap. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I, have I love camera, it. I had the camera set up on top of the sink. Like one of those little stands with yeah. the phone. And I actually yeah. have like, four, I filmed like 20 of them. Like me washing the dishes and I was going to put Zen music on top of it and put it on top and be like meditative. Zen of, Zen of dishwashing. They so, have that for eating, I think. Like they'll no, record like, yeah. yeah. The that's funny. Like, the sound of it, people like it. So like some people are going to just get... Because, you know, the beauty of dishwashing, not to go too far on tangent, you start with something messy and you finish and at the end is something clean. Yeah. In entrepreneurship, there is no finishing in the end. Right? No, so yeah, yeah. For me, there is that relaxation. Yeah. I started with something and I was able to finish. Yeah. So there is the relaxation of, of all of that. So, yeah, but building your passion is, is just when you become really good at something, I promise you, you'll be passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, arguably, how, you know, I don't want to say I'm really good at online businesses, but my batting average is considerably higher than average. Well, you're very smart about your approach to that too. Like you're you're um, you're pretty intelligent and at least doing some sort of research prior to launching anything, right? Like you do your do you do your due diligence on Google SEO, checking it out, how many people are actually searching this. That kind of gives you a, a TAM of some sorts. Um, so yeah, you're pretty intelligent about how you approach the startups and business as well. A lot of people don't do any of what you do. Um, hence why, why your batting average is higher. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I build businesses that are mathematically possible to succeed at. Yeah. Because I do have a formula of, you know, how many people search, how many people buy, what's, what, what's my estimated LTV on whatever it is I'm selling. Or, you know, I say LTV because I'm usually productized services. Yeah. Ed tech, right? But just, you know, whatever it is you're selling. And you can actually figure out in probably 30 minutes to an hour whether your business is feasible. Yeah. Other people like, I have this amazing business idea. Everybody's going to want it because my two friend, best friend said it was a great business idea. Yeah, I always tell founders to get over themselves on that. It annoys the crap out of me where like, no, they don't talk to their customer. They, you know what? Like to your point, you're not really even talking to your customers. You're seeing what your customers are doing. You're not talking to them physically. And and that's another way of doing it. It's just like, instead of just having a conversation with their clients, at least go find out what your clients are searching for. That's it. And look, having a conversation with your clients is not as easy as make people make it out to be. No, it's hard. Getting it's still hard. It's cold sales. Exactly. It's cold calling sales. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. But, but even more than that, the thing is customers don't always want, know what they want. Right. The whole Henry Ford thing, right? If I had asked what they wanted, they wanted a faster buggy. Like if I had a faster horse, right? That's what totally. they would have said when you got on a call with them. What they really want, you know, but that's why there are people you can pay to do these calls because it is a skill. Yeah. All of us as founders think we're just going to get on there and talk to them and they're just going to tell us exactly what they need. Right. There's a lot more to it. It's essentially human data mining. And if you don't have experience of doing that, you're probably going to come to the wrong conclusions. It's usually the first, first thing that the customers say is not always really what they want. Right. right. 
What yep. they really want is a solution to problem X, but they're telling you my problem is A. Yeah, they're they're not problem A, and it's totally the wrong thing. And I, and I always tell founders to be careful with that when they're talking to customers. Like, don't ask for what features. Ask what the problems are. Don't because again, yeah, here's the thing. Like. In my opinion, customers are not, they're not product people. They have no idea what to build. Like, oh, what do you, what should I build for you? Oh, you know what would be cool? Build this thing where like, I'll never pay you for it. And uh, yet if, if you simply say, Hey, what are you struggling? What's the most time consuming thing in your life? They'll, they'll be able to tell you that they're experts in that. That's the realm they can answer. The product side, they have no idea how they can answer that. And then they give you, they lead you the wrong path. I agree with you. Exactly. And that's what I found a lot of, you know, I, I do a lot of mentoring now and mentoring and coaching. And that's especially with people starting out for, I recently started uh, mentoring at the Harvard Innovation Lab. And these are some of the smartest people in the world. Yeah, they still don't do the basics. Ideas. But that's the, well, because they don't know. Like, you know, some of them come from totally other areas. I'm, you know, one of the first people I'm mentoring is from the, he's getting his uh, doctorate in public health. They're not business people. No. Super, super smart, like smartest people, but they just don't know some of the basics of business. Yeah. Uh, um, the benefits of getting a coach and a mentor is, wow, that cuts a lot of time off. You think that somebody will tell you, if they, you know, you get the right one, they're going to be telling you, it was like, yeah, you're totally going in the wrong direction here. Yeah. Let me save you five years, no matter yeah. what their costs are. Because I've had mentors from like, you know, on the low end to like two, two, three thousand dollars to the high end of like ten thousand dollars. And that's really what you're paying for. It's like, yeah, yeah. How do I avoid fifty thousand dollars in mistakes in the next totally. Two months? You made your money back. Like that, that's all I wanted. Yeah. Right. Um, even though you don't see it at the time, sometimes you're like, well, it's it's funny you say that because we we have now um, basically gotten a mentor. It's more like a it's kind of interesting. It's a company mentor. Um, so basically, we found an expert in our industry uh, that we basically were like, look, we would love your professionalism, and and just like you know, bounce ideas just to talk to you. So she's, she's been in the industry. She's worked with a company that we're probably, we're trying to basically replicate. Mm -hmm. And essentially we talked to her and she's like, you know, and it's funny. She said this right off the bat and she's like, yeah, you're, I like your approach on what you guys are doing with AI and, and blah, blah, blah. This is exactly how AI should be in this industry. Um, but you know, what's funny? No one's ever thought of doing X and we kind of like took it back. We're like, that's a good point. No one has thought of X. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she comes from the industry and everything. And, and we did, you know, your, to your exact point is like, just run an ad. We just ran a very basic ad on, on compliance and, and boom, so much feedback. And all of a sudden we're like, Holy, okay, all right. There's something here. There's something and there. That's worth whatever you paid her. Like that one line she gave you is probably the best the part. Is that was an introduction call. We <laughs> it was free. Now that being said, we hired her after that, obviously. Course, after that, but after that, we hired her. But but yeah, exactly. Like mentors do help you in the way of like um, avoiding pitfalls in the future and also helping you just manage yourself. Because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs feel like they're alone. That's been the yeah, and one of the things that mentors, uh, they're separated from the business, right? So none of the, the advice they're going to give you is like emotionally best. No. Right? It's not, they just want what's better, best, if, you know, as long as they're good mentors or coaches, they just want what's best for you. Like yeah. that's their prerogative. Like totally. that's what they're doing this for, right? Um, when you're in your business, you get emotionally attached to certain decisions and everything. Even, you know, sometimes you get emotionally attached to people that you need to let go, so you're not letting them go. But something for the outside is like, Look, I don't know who this Bob guy is, but you keep complaining about him on every single call. You really need to either move him out or move him out. Like, I mean, it's yeah. do it your own way. But look, you need to do it. And just saying that, you know, I've had it with my mentors. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I know you are. I still am awful at doing it, so it takes me months to actually act. It, it, me, but at least I know it's there, right? Yeah. You know what? That book behind you, Be More Vader, that's what you need to be. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly it. Being more assertive. That's exactly the point. So yeah, I agree with you though. I, I think mentors uh, really help you bring on, you know, a validation is huge because a lot of times what happens with the, men, the founders, they, they just don't have the validation. They, they don't know if they're, what they're thinking is correct. They don't have the money for the team to be able to get that team to validate them. And then on the other side is uh, sometimes it's just one of those scenarios where it's like, I know what I have to do. And you know, you just need a 
little kick in the butt to kind of make it happen. So I agree with that. I've, so, I've heard like stuff from mentors that are obvious when they say it, right? And yeah. Then, but until they do, it doesn't work. Yeah, I had a mentor once. Uh, he, well, not once. He's still my mentor. I, I love him to bits. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Mr. Roderick. He's uh, he's he's amazing. He's just like empathetic, understands you, and again, separate it. Not emotional to the business itself, but emotional to you. Like like they want the best for you mm-hmm. as a person, not so much for the company and everything else. So they kind of guide you through that whole. Uh, emotional roller coaster that founder being a founder is so you know we're talking about how challenging it is to be a founder so what are your thought processes between uh, not between but like what are your thought processes behind starting your own business like what why should someone take the leap we always on this pod the podcast talk about how hard it is to start your own startup because we want to be real about it but what why should i take the leap based on what you're telling me so I'll start with the, the caveat saying don't. It's not for you. Uh, <laughs> and I think not, you, know, you heard it here first. Uh, exactly. Founders Corner <laughs> tells their founders not to take the leap. Not to take the leap. <laughs> uh, and probably not the people listening to Founders Corner, but like for 99% of the population, starting a business is not the right choice. Yeah, I agree. Because they, they started under the wrong pretense. I agree with you, yes. And it's just personality types doesn't work mm-hmm. for. Like if you need any kind of certainty, founder being a founder is not for you. A types cannot succeed uh, with founder, as a founder. Exactly. Well, and, I, that's a that's a lie. They can, but it, they struggle mentally because A types like everything to be structured, and there is zero structure. <laughs> there will, but there won't be any. But regardless of your personality type, it's look. I consider myself kind of emotionally a pretty stable guy, but like I've had depression and ang- oh, yeah. anxiety attacks during my twenty year journey at certain points. You know, the, the way I describe being an entrepreneur is the same way, and this is going to be relevant to you, uh, as people, whether you decide to have kids or not. So what's the difference in life when you have kids versus when you don't? When you don't have kids, your range of happiness and sadness is here. So like there's the middle line in the middle, yeah. and it's here. When you have kids, that line expands all the way out, which means you can be happier, but you can be a whole lot sadder too, right? So like your, your yeah. variation just yeah. founding a business is the same thing. When you run work at a job, your range is like this. You can be happy, you can be sad, you're not, but you're not going to be super happy because it's not your business, and you're not going to be super sad because it's just a job, right? Like totally. That range. Yep. As soon as you become an entrepreneur, that range just goes up like 10x. Massive. You can be massively happy. Yeah. It's like things work out, but you can enter depression and sadness because it's all on you when things don't. Mm-hmm. Most people are not ready for everybody pumps up the top side because they have to, everybody thinks their business is going to succeed and it's going to be a straight line to the top, even though we've all the, seen the about the little squiggly line to get to the top. The, the founder optimism. Yep. Exactly. It's founder optimism as opposed, but we totally discount the downside and the downside yeah. sucks. I told you, like I've been in therapy before. And the down, and to be honest with you, the downside is a lot more frequent than the upside, especially at the beginning. I would yeah. say for the first three, four years, it's more downsides than upsides. Absolutely. And that's what people don't realize. It's why most businesses fail in two years. It's usually not because the business idea is bad. It's just because people can't put up with it. They you know what's funny is anytime we talk to a founder and he says, I'm doing this because I think I can make a lot of money with it, we avoid them like the plague. Because you you're not going to survive. Be lucky if you make a little bit. Yeah, if you, you'll be lucky if you make yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. Most people make more money in jobs. Like, what is it? It's a slightly old statistic, but uh, there's this old book that I really like reading called The Millionaire Next Door, and they did a study yeah. of like how much the average business owner, this is, you know, pre-tech time, so it changes yeah. things a little bit, but the average business owner, even according to statistics, makes about $70,000 a year, yep. $80,000 a year. If you have a college degree in any kind of, like a computer programming, and 100000 minimum. Easy, easy, for a whole lot yeah. of stress. Less yeah. stress. And remember, average is 70000 That means 50% make less yeah. than that. Right. Yeah. So if you're thinking you're, you're going to go in there and build a million dollar idea, you're probably not. Mm. Um, like even getting to like when I built my first seven figure business, I still felt like a beginner until I met other people. And I'm like, wow, you have a seven figure business. I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm, then, then like, you know, that, that puts you in like the top, like, I don't know what the statistic is, like two, three percent of businesses. Make you know what? Figures, right? We always say it takes 10 years before you're an overnight success. That's me for me. It was seven. I, I jokingly say seven years to seven figures would be the name of one of my. Books. There you go. Uh, nobody would ever buy it because, yeah. like, every, you know, everybody wants seven days to seven figures. Nobody yeah, of course. Days. 
And that I think that's the big problem is there's a, so much stigma behind startups having to succeed. They have to succeed in a year. They have to succeed in two years. Some of the companies I know that are going for Series A, they've been around for five years. That's it's well, a lot. It comes from the VC world, though. So the world I play in is actually the bootstrap world, right? Yeah. Like, I've never taken VC money or you know significant investor money from anybody. Um, and in that game, which I think is the game most people should be playing, because the VC is it's a different thing. I always recommend if anybody wants books, read Sandhill Road and Venture Deals. Two things. Sandhill Road is a really good one. Yeah. Before you even start, read those two books. Because that's what I did. And I read them and I'm like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I just, this is not, that's not the life I want to live. I'm like, maybe I have a one in a million chance of making a billion dollars going that way. But I'm like, that just, that chance is not big enough for me to give a sacrifice. But here's the thing, Ray, you don't, you don't have to be a billion dollar company. No, I don't know like why everyone has this idea dollars. that they have to be a billion dollar company. Like if I start a company and I make a look, if I make a $5 million revenue, $10 million revenue, I, there's going to be companies coming and banging on my door, wanting to buy me out for 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 million. Right? Like that is an option for a lot of people as well. And go smaller than that. Make a company that makes half a million and somebody's going to offer you, let's say, four to five times, so 2.5 million for it after a few years. And you actually own majority of shares. Yeah, you'll own 100%. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's usually what happens for me. Like, I own 100%. You make all of it. Somebody's going to pay you. Let's say you yeah. work 10 years. You build a company that makes 500,000. So let's say you put away a few hundred thousand while you're at it. And then somebody gives you another 2.5 million afterwards. You structure yeah. it, right? Like, as a, in the US, you know, C Corp with qualified small business stocks, so you pretty much pay no taxes on the exit. Yeah. And you get $2.5 million in your bank. Yeah, I think, I think with most startups, I think they need to realize they don't have to be a billion-dollar company, but they also shouldn't shoot for, like, mediocre either. And at least that's my thought. Actually, actually. I will disagree with you there. Because I know. I, think there's a lot I know you will. <laughs> exactly. There is a lot. Everybody's going for the $100 million companies. Yeah. If you focus on a five, like, if you consciously try to build a one, two, three, five million dollar company, your competition's actually very low. Because well, because no one wants to sell at that point. <laughs> exactly. No one wants to sell, but nobody's actually shooting for it. So yeah. if you want to build the best $2 million company, you can. Well, if you go hyper niche, if you go hyper niche, that's your thing. That's exactly it. You'll have much less competition. Because especially if your niche is only like 2 two or $3 million big. I say only with air quotes, but you know, let's say two. And you own 80% of it. Like big boys, VCs are not going to, if some of you go to a VC and say, I have a $2 million business. No, they won't invest in you. Yeah, they want. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So your only competition are people who are bootstrapping at that size. Yeah. And the beauty of that means most people who are bootstrapping are have you have the early mover advantage means you already have like the market share. So don't just rest on your laurels. Somebody could beat you eventually. Um, but you also have the experience you have that they don't have. They're bootstraps. They're probably just starting from scratch. So yeah, you're there. You keep it. You have two million. Let's say it's a decent thirty percent product. You know, profit margin. You're making six hundred thousand dollars a year in two million companies. Probably you can run it for 10, 15 hours a week. You right. have to put a good team in place because you have enough money for a team there. Yeah. Most people are perfectly happy making five hundred thousand dollars. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, U.S. Canadian dollars, you probably have to make five million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, Canadian yeah. dollars is monopoly money. It's uh, exactly it's, that's it's pretty much us. that doesn't count. Yeah, but in American dollars, let's say five hundred thousand. I think. Um, in order to, I, yeah. I think it was the other day I watched a TikTok on a, a girl. She's like. Me and my husband were the top two percent. We're top two percent in Canadian uh, income earners in Toronto, and she's living pay to pay, paycheck to paycheck. Wow! And she's like, "I I get out. I'm spending a hundred dollars. Apparently, hundred dollars is the new twenty dollar bill, and it is insane. I mean, you are living in Toronto, to be honest. So their rent is probably." You know, a solid six, seven, or mortgage is seven, seven grand, eight grand, right? So I, I get it. I get what she's saying, but like, how depressing is that? That your top two percent in Canada, and that she's probably not the only one, to be honest. So yeah, Canadian dollars is meaningless. <laughs> well, like, but even in the U.S., like if you're in New York City and you make a hundred k, you're poor. Like two hundred k, you might barely make it. To but fair enough, you're in New York. Your chances of opportunities are way higher. There's so much more there, you know. But tr- most, like Toronto, right people, Canada, come on. I don't know what there is. There's a shoe. There's a shoe museum. 
Like, you know, yeah. I, I, no, can, there. look, look, Toronto is probably the best part of Canada in terms of opportunity and things like that. It's the New York of Canada. Let's call it what it is. But the pro, the point is, is like, why is living in Toronto probably more expensive than living in New York? I have no idea. I have not. It makes there. no I, sense. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's off topic. Canadian money is monopoly money. It's pointless. (laughs) You got it. You got it. So yeah, build your smaller business. I, you know, for most people, I think that's actually going to lead to. Let's, uh, let's talk about the fact that you've now, um, based on your entire experience, you've now are starting to write your own book. So do you want, Mm -hmm. is it okay if you share a little bit about your book? What's going on? What's happening? What's you starting? What is it even about? Yeah. So the name of the book, I don't know if it was planned, but our segue was pretty good. Into this one. So well, we were talking about uh, we were talking about planning and you know Canadian, exactly. yeah, income, yeah. things like that, yeah. And so, yeah, we were we were also talking about the right size business for what you actually want out of right. And that's where a lot of founders kind of get stuck because they all want everybody thinks you need a hundred million dollar business, yeah. But so when I saw my last business about a year ago now in January, uh, somebody approached me to become a coach and mentor, and I told them, no, I'm not a coach and mentor. Like I started my own business, I don't know what you're talking. Uh, and he kept on asking and asking and asking. Uh, and I kept on saying, and he's very polite, really. Kind of was, I was kind of flattered. I'm like, yeah, wow, this is nice. Um, but I kept on saying no. And eventually, he kept he asked, and I kind of gave him a price, and I'm like, I'm a part of your business. Like, I, I thought he would say no. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, what? Okay. It means I actually have to do it. Um, <laughs> and it worked, it's worked out really yeah, it's Don't you love out. those deals where you're like, make a, such an outrageous deal? To, the, to them to say no and they say yes and you're like, ah, crap. It's too good of a deal to say no now and yeah. now you have to do it. <laughs> now I actually have to do it because like the whole point would be for you to say no. Yeah. Uh, it worked out for him though because his company went from 300000 to $1.5 million in the last seven months he's been working with me. So I should have, uh, in hindsight, I should have charged a lot more and probably asked for a lot more stuff. See, now, um, now, but you know, it's 2020 vision. You just leave exactly, it where it was. Exactly. But then, you know, he's at 500% growth in seven months yeah. working with me. But, my philosophy is on my So out of curiosity, what was that business and what what advice would you give a founder that was in the same boat that made it go up? Like what was he doing wrong that you were able to put him on the right track? Yeah, so he wasn't doing anything wrong, but it's the reason a lot of people get stuck at the mid six figures range. Mm. Right. Um, there's a people get up there, you're a moderate level of success. So it was an education business as well, which is my, my right up your alley. Like that's kind of where the space I coach, like if you're SaaS, I'm not really the guy for you, right? Like, yeah. But if you're looking for something to help you build your yeah, everybody has a has a specialty. I agree with that. Exactly, you have to. When everybody says I can do everything, is like they're lying. Like, no, there's just too many nuances to to certain industries that there. There's like overarching stuff, but that twenty percent difference makes all the difference in growth. Um, for him, it was kind of figuring out his systems first and figuring out who to hire and fit into the right seats to put him into kind of his zone of excellence. And we're still working on it. Like, I mean, you know, we've done enough of it. I'm still pulling him out. Uh, other tasks to put more right. stronger on. We're still on a pretty strong growth trajectory uh, there. I worked with another person who's, it was in a similar boat. They've grown about 20% in the last four months. There you go. Okay. Most revenue of working with them as well. And it's, for them, it was actually their dance bottlenecks in their system that we figured out. So I'm not going to say there's like one thing that everybody at six figures does, but it's no. either a system or a hiring problem um, that you have to do. Because you, you already have product market fit at that point. Uh, yes. It's about scaling. How do you scale it? That's where you're at. They exactly. Stuck, exactly. They get stuck yeah. in the scaling because their systems or the processes. Are wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of without experience, it's sometimes a little hard to figure out exactly where you're doing it wrong. And you spend right. years trying to like tweak stuff and you're doing the wrong thing and it's not doing it. I've yeah. If you don't know what so. you're doing and you're tweaking the wrong things, it's it's really just driving less and less. Exactly. And then eventually you burn out and yeah. the company dies. So I started working with them and one of the things I start with all my, you know, I started with him and I started with other ones was you alluded to this before, like your mentor does the same. My client is the person, not the business. Yep. And that's the philosophy I go into with everybody I do coaching with. So there, for me, there are four pillars in life and I kind of knew it abstractly from my first few clients, but like I put it together in the nine year letter book that I'm you know, trying to finish up right now, um, which are relationships, finance, health, and fun. Yeah. Most people don't include the fun part because oh, that's the we, we need to do that. So fun yeah. for me includes relaxation. Health includes, uh, you know, mental, physical, and spiritual health for, you know, whichever one of those apply to you. Finance. I say finance because at the beginning when I did it, I'm like business. Then I realized not everybody in the world is an entrepreneur and this yeah. can serve people who have like jobs as well. And then relationships, which are the key to a lot of things in life. So family relationships and even friendships. 
that you have outside of that. Yeah. So basically what I do is it, in the nine year letter is we, we fill out this worksheet and kind of go work, go through all those four columns and we put in yep. what I call bricks, which are like these important points on where you are right now. Um, then we go through something called the guardrail questions to figure out what your values are. So one of my issues with values and corporate values and even personal values is most people have this one word that they use for the values like excellence. Yeah. And then you ask them, what does excellence mean? And they might have one sentence description, but it's not really useful for people to use. So I have decided pretty, it usually takes like an hour per question in, in consulting for you to come up with a question where you say yes to it, you know, you're upholding your value. And if you say no, you know, you're not. Like yeah. there's no gray area in there. So we kind of work through that. Then we come up with your nine year vision of where you want to go in your relationships, in your business or in your finances, in your health and in your fun. We, then we start checking if there's any discrepancies at that point. You, you know, what's interesting about your book is the fact that honestly, I, I, I can honestly tell you that no one does this before I, starting their business. No one. Nobody does. It, that, nobody does. I've seen most businesses fail. Not because of what's happening in the business, but yeah. if you're focusing on your business all day, there's one client I hope to be working with. I sent him a proposal this morning. Um, if he's working, he runs a $10 million company, but he's barely home and he has a new kid at home and it's affecting his relationships. Yeah. And that's why the business might fail five years down the road. Because if he has to go through a divorce and he doesn't see his kid, do you think that's not going to affect his business? 100%. Or if it's a health thing where somebody sacrifices their health, they're severely overweight, it, that's going to affect your mental, you know, your mental capacity. Yeah. If you get a surgery for six months, you know, you get hospitalized for surgery, do you think that that's going to crash your business? Even yep. the fun and relaxation, if you work for three years straight, you're going to burn out. So I make sure you plan fun activities for you, either weekly, daily, take a vacation once a year, whatever it is that helps you recharge needs to be part of your plan. So yeah. that's what we do. Um, so we build the nine year plan and then we build it down to three years, one years, you can actually, anybody who's an entrepreneur will be kind of familiar with the general planning principles, but you, they, most people only apply it to their business. They don't apply it holistically to their whole life. You know, and I think finance, I'm going to, I'm going to really hone in on that. I mean, fun, I think it's more about how do you decompress for me? That's exactly it. Right. How do you recharge? Uh, what, what I mean by fun. Yeah, exactly. It's more of a, okay. Because because you're going to need it. Like you may not need it in a job. It may just be more casual. But like in an entrepreneurship, you need to know how to decompress. Um, and then I say I say my pillars. There's I have three pillars that I abide by. Uh, one is sleeping eight hours minimum, no matter what. I tried the whole five hour four five a.m. So I'm laughing. So yeah. oh my god, like five a.m. club. Like screw that club. I want nothing to do with that club. Right, like. And then uh, pillar number two is understand when I'm on my peak times and my low times. <clears throat> so in the mornings, I'm on my peak times. I'm thinking really straight. I'm focused. Afternoon is my worst times. I hate afternoons. And around like three, four o'clock, I pick back up until six-ish. And then I need to stop. Because if I keep going, I'm frying my brain. So and I do 10 days in a row and then afterwards I burn out. I can't do more than that. So that becomes pillar number three, long con, not the short con. That's it. And that's, and it, look, if you do any kind of exercise, it's the same deal. You don't get stronger by working out the gym. You get stronger when you rest between the gym. Sessions. Yes. That's just the way that the body works. Same with the brain. Um, and that's sleep, rest. Yep. When you sleep is when you process and you put the, the information in the right place. That's you right. You can actually retrieve it the next day. Yep. Uh, it's the reason why we can wake up at two o'clock in the morning with the best tension. Yes. It happens to me up. all the time. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, how did I struggle with this last night? What? It's obvious. Your brain figures it out. You need to yeah. work it. Obviously, if you're super stressed, that's also when the time two o'clock in the morning is when you wake up because that's when the stress kind of oh, yeah. your brain. It's sort of stuff out. Um, but it's just the way that our brains work. So yeah. that's the premise for the nine-year letter book. And then at the end of everything, you I'll caveat this with, you know, I'm not a very kind of foo-foo kind of guy, but the science is pretty strong behind this. You write a letter back to yourself, handwritten on a piece of paper, actually mail it to yourself if you can, from yourself in the future, telling yourself. This is what we did. This is what we reached. This is the struggles we had along the way. You mail it back to yourself and you read it. Yeah, that's and cool. And now you're holding yourself accountable because at the end of each month, what you do is like- That's oh, very cool. Meeting you, you write a short letter back to yourself. Yeah. And my long-term goal is to have a journal with this. So it's going to have a letter in the front of the journal and then every single letter you wrote for nine years. That's there. cool. So you'll actually be able to track it through. So you're holding yourself accountable to yourself, future self. Your yeah. future self is waiting for it. And the dream there is like in eight years and 
11 months, you write, I can't wait to meet you next month. I've done everything you talked about. My life is where you're at. I'm going to be sitting, you know, the way, the way you describe it, you know, sitting on your desk, looking out at your kids on the pond. I'm going to be there in three days. Yeah. And I, and I think that helps visualization because that's, that's a massive one. And also the, the biggest thing, the biggest problem with goal tracking, especially as an entrepreneur, because life gets so hectic, right? You kind of lose track of that goal. Like you're very like, you're sometimes I blink and then the month is done and I'm just like, how the hell did the month just go by? Like, I have no idea how I'm running the second payroll already. I'm like, I'm like, what? Like I thought, you know, I thought I had time. You never have time. <laughs> you, you never will. So yeah. The goal of the end of the nine year letter is not necessarily, you know, you'll have some financial goals that are concrete. But the yeah. Way you, I have describe, to. you know, your nine year goals there is yeah. who do you want to be nine years from? Because a lot of people have come to me and they're like, well, you never plan nine years out. They're absolutely right. There's like, I don't call it. It's your nine-year goals. You have your three-year milestone, your one-year milestone, which is like, you know, if you think of it as a journey, that's just a road marker that you're passing along the way. Yeah. The only thing you have to be, I make you plan out is the next 30 days. And right. there, you're guessing a little bit, right? But anything farther than that, as the great philosopher M. Tyson said, you know, the plans last until somebody punches you in the face, right? So like, I don't love Mike Tyson on that one. Exactly. He's, he's got it, right? Um, but the goal, the point here is if your nine-year self, your nine-year letter is the person you want to be in nine years, nothing should change that even if plans don't work out. So let's right. just say your nine-year goal is I'd like to be able to run marathons, be fit. And four years from now, you get cancer. Did that yeah, change you can. your nine-year goal of being healthy? No. You still want to recover from cancer and get there. The journey you're going to take there is different. Might not be the, yeah, it's different from what you actually anticipated when you started, but you have to right. change your nine-year goal. If you want to have a million dollars in the bank, in nine years, and you go bankrupt in eight years, you still haven't changed. You shouldn't have to change your goal. It's a lot harder to get there, but like, how do I make a million dollars in a year now? Like, right. you have to change your thinking to reach your goal, but you haven't right. changed your goal. So that's my point. It's not a nine-year plan. It's a nine-year goals that you're setting, and your goals should be stuff that, like, no matter what else happens in your life, the yeah. goals shouldn't change. Like, if you know you're married to your wife, you want to be married in nine years. Okay. You know, I'm assuming, right? Uh, and that's so, the hope in the dream. <laughs> exactly, that's the hope in the dream. So you'll have, rough, like, like any relationship, you'll have rough patches, but it doesn't change the dream. You right. want to have a happy relationship with your wife and your kid or kids by then. Um, I like that because it, it really allows the entrepreneur to really try to take a more uh, longer. And we talk about this, right? We we literally talked about this earlier in the podcast. Is the fact that people don't see this as a long-term thing. They, they think in in like one or two years, they can make this a million or billion dollar company. They hear it on the news because the news is only giving you that information. They're not giving you about the hundred other failures. Um, and I think that book really helps, a, especially a founder, really understand, okay, look, this isn't a, this isn't a, mar- this isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And so what do I want to see at the end of that marathon is the key thing. You're, you're banging on with that. I love that book idea. Yeah. And so like the, so I'm like I'm about 30,000 words written for it. So I hope to have like at least the first draft done and probably hopefully published by the end of next year, which would be 2024. Um, I'm already coaching people on this, right? So when I work with right. clients, I work through this whole system within like the first two months because I want to get to know you. As so what, what if a founder wants to make you, uh, you know, become a client? How do they, where do you, where are you? <laughs> yeah. So you can find me at the nine year letter.com, the letter nine. Okay yearletter.com or you can find me on my personal website rayblakeney.com okay so that's how they're signing up to be part of your okay that's it so like i've just started this so most of my clients are word of mouth now like yeah. almost every client you know that i've had is word oh of you're mouth. not doing the seo google search not i'll start eventually um but right now you know i just did it i'm between projects so i have a little bit of time to dedicate to it so i'm gonna yeah. be i'm gonna be focusing on this work because it's cliche. I do want to have it. I found I love doing it. Like, I, it's really, really enjoyable to me. It's a passion. Uh, <laughs> it is a passion, but it's built. Like, I didn't come into this because I'm passionate for being a coach. Yeah, I did yeah. not want to be a coach. Yeah. But I just like seeing, you know, people, other people succeed. Um, and let's Very be honest, cool. Like, you know, look, I, if you're looking for a cheap $50 an hour person, like, I'm not you. But, like, you know, no. I can take your bid. And I usually work with people in the mid six figures. So, just the kind right. of people who are listening, if you're like, you make 50, like, my price point is not probably something that you can afford. Um, but if, if five, you know, if you're making about 500,000, it won't be super cheap, but it'll be well, with, it won't wreck any of your yearly budgets or anything for me. And right. just to make the money back, if I help you grow 20%, you've paid me, you know, I've made my money back multiple times over. If I double you, 
way, way more than that. Right. Like, you know, the guy who's with $300,000 to $1.5 million, like, um, fraction, like, you know, what he paid me is like 1% of the profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. I got you. And every every case is, is its own, so I get exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, just to get, get people's expectations there. If you're like, hey, I'm looking for a $50 a month coach, I'm like, yeah. I don't think anyone is expecting a $50 coach. You'd be surprised. Well, I mean, but there's no. like, there are websites out there for coaches that I found that the coaches charge like $70 an hour. And I'm just like, and not yeah. in North America. It's, it's one, it's a, I found some directories recently where that's. Okay. Like, <laughs> I was like, I haven't heard of a coach really that's. Have. I don't know if you want that coach for seventy dollars an hour. <laughs> they should pay you probably for for their time at that point. So you, you know, the most successful the most successful teams don't usually have seventy dollar coaches, so I don't know. I'm guessing. That's, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'll, cool. You know, I work you through the process. I've worked about a dozen people through it right now. So I start with you. I get to know you, but then we actually apply your values and your goals to your company. That's like the second phase, the three phases. Right. We do so like, let's make sure your company is actually aligned to what you're doing. Because if you're the CEO and the founder, you are the values of the company, regardless of what values you put on your mission yeah, statement. Totally, they're yeah. not the same as yours. There's something then wrong there. We got it always starts from the top. Always starts exactly. from the top. Yeah. And then we start going into tactics and business, usually after phase three. That's what I call phase three. It's like, okay, we have a plan. We've set your plan for life. We've set your business plan. Now let's execute. And then cool. we work with them to execute. Very nice. Ray. I, uh, I want to thank you for being here with us. This was, uh, this was amazing. And uh, for everyone back home, like uh, if you're wanting to um, reach out to Ray, 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 how can they reach out to you besides those yeah. websites you gave? Yeah, so on those websites, or you can actually just reach out to me on social media. So looking for Ray Blakeney on Facebook. Uh, okay. Know, old school. Facebook. Facebook oh, I know. Yeah. I'll put Facebook. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. You showed your age, Ray. You showed your rage with that. I know. I'm sitting there. I'm like, don't think they use that anymore. Uh, so. <laughs> Facebook, Instagram. I just look for Ray Blakeney. You'll actually see a picture of me and like sword fighting, so that you, you know cool. the right guy. Or on LinkedIn for the professional side. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you so much again for being here, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy, and I look forward to that book. It should be an exciting one. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. All right. Everybody back at home, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you uh, found value or you think someone else can uh, see value in this video, please feel free to share, um, like, subscribe. Um, without you guys, this show would not continue. So thank you for continuing to support us and uh, watching our episodes. Until next time, quarter out.